What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is the amazing and hilarious Mac King. You guys know that I was in Las Vegas, and Mac was kind enough to sit down with me for a little bit to talk about magic, to talk about comedy, when he was on the road working on the act. It's a super fun episode, and you're going to learn a lot from one of the most respected comedy magicians in the world. So, enjoy the episode. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, facebook.com slash a sense of mystery, facebook.com slash magical thinking podcast, instagram.com slash treasury of wonder, and instagram.com slash magical thinking podcast. We have an Instagram now. You should follow us. Let me know what you think of the episode. Email me podcast at artofmagic.com. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up. This weekend is our pop-up slash open house. So if you're in the San Diego area, Come on down and hang out. That'll be a great time. We've also got a bunch of cool new material coming out. And make sure to check out dananddave.com and artofplay.com this weekend for all the crazy releases associated with Dan and Dave's birthday, which is Saturday, November 6th. So wish them a happy birthday on the Facebook page. Send them an email. Anyway, get into Matt King's episode. You're going to love it. Enjoy. So I texted him this morning and I said, is there anything I'd, I should ask Mac? <laughs> uh -oh. he, he gave me a couple things. Oh, good. But, so I, we met at one of the Magic Cons. You were performing. Oh, yeah. And this was... I've only been to one, so I don't know. Maybe four years ago, five years ago? Yeah, four or five, yeah, somewhere in there. And uh, I lost my mind watching you it was so funny and i was fooled wow. so badly and i came up to you after the show and i was like oh my gosh will you please sign my copy of her days and you did and you said come see the show one day so i saw it this week for the first time well thanks for sitting through the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> i uh, loved it it was amazing well it's good i mean this is a slow week so i'm glad you guys were here you doubled the crowd good. <laughs> it was super fun how long have you been doing that show well it's embarrassing okay <laughs> long time i mean uh i mean so i'm uh when i was like 16 my show was i opened with a version of the rope trick uh -huh. and closed with a burnt bill routine <laughs> and now 40 years later <laughs> I opened with a rope trick and closed with the burnt bill trick. And, I mean, those tricks have evolved, both of them, uh, from, you know, almost word for word, somebody else to almost word for word, only mine. And, but but still, the basic shell of my show is has been the same for 40 years. That's amazing. That was one of the things Chris mentioned, is ask him how many versions of the rope trick he's done. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, when I first started, I mean, I, that rope trick uh, started as just, um, here's the story. Lance Burton went to see George Sands' lecture, and George Sands did, had two rope tricks that he did, Sensational Rope and Rope-sational, and Lance bought these two manuscripts and brought them to me. I wasn't able to go to the lecture that night, and I was away at college, I think. Now, that couldn't have been right, because it was before that. Anyway. He brought me those manuscripts, and uh, he said, ah, "This, I think these will be good for you." 
And so I kind of cobbled together pieces of each of those into one routine over the course of a few months working on it, experimenting. And that, like I said, a version of that has been in my show since then. But, you know, it's evolved over the years. I mean, initially the ending was, George Sands' ending was he would cut the rope into 16 little pieces and he would put all the pieces ostensibly into his left hand, all 16 pieces, but he would still steal 15 of those pieces out and reach into his pocket and come out with magic woofle dust. And that magic woofle dust was 15 pieces of rope. And he would sprinkle those from his right hand over his left hand and say, I sprinkled magic woofle dust over these ropes and they all come out in one piece. And then he would just have a you know, three-inch piece of rope, and that was the finish of his trick. So it was a joke mm-hmm. finish. And that's what I did for a number of years. But, I mean, over the – my goal had always been to not have a joke finish, to really have that happen, to cut the rope into 16 pieces and have it go back together. And so I think what Chris is talking about is over the years that the method for that trick has changed uh, from, you know, initially – um, a thing, a little weird servant in my pants <laughs> to a top it, and then a thing that involved my suitcase. And the, but the current version has been in there for 15 or 25 years, 20 years maybe. So, but it, it's changed, you know, considerably over the years. You know, it involved wires, and but now it's the simplest version, and I think the most deceptive one too. I was badly fooled. <laughs> well, I mean, uh. On uh, Fool Us, you know, uh, Penn just recently said, you know, uh, when you brought out a rope, because I brought out a rope to do a gag, but uh, he said, when you brought out that rope, we were both scared, because you know every time you do that trick for Teller, he is fooled by the ending. And, and Teller's seen it probably, I don't know, a dozen or more times now. So. <laughs> Uh, you made it. You made it too easy for him. <laughs> you should have done the rope. <laughs> nah, no, I. You know, you the rope trick's good, but I mean, now. it's not as good a TV trick. What's that? No, of course. You guys have been friends for a long time. Yeah, now, right? yeah, yeah. We met. Penn called me. I vividly remember because I mean, you know, Penn Gillette calls you on the phone, and it was in a hotel. So he called my house, and my wife um, had answered and told him where I was. And I was on the road at that time. It was before, way before I was here in Las Vegas. And I was in the hotel room in St. Louis, Missouri, and I got a phone call from Penn Gillette out of the blue. And that was when he and Teller were working on uh, their first book, and he wanted to include this fork-in-the-eye trick huh. uh, with the creamer that I had come up with. And so he had tracked that down to me and tracked me down through friends or whatever and called me. And so that's how we first met. And he read me, you know, he said, here's what I'd like to do. And he read me what he was going to put in the book. And so we spent a good amount of time. And it turns out the next week I was going to be in the same city as they were. And so we had dinner. So it was great. Wow. That's cool. Um, your show is, I feel like I know, I know we have like a hard end because you have to do a show. So like this is pesky magic shows (laughs) I have to do. This is a little more like question to answer than I'd normally like to oh, do. Yeah? I like you know, it to be a little more casual. Whatever you want. But, you, know, however, um, you want me to just ramble? Because I can. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> um, that would be great. There's a couple things. I, I just want to talk about character and context a little sure. bit. Like, um, 
the show that you do in the place that you do it as the person that's on stage is all perfectly cohesive. Thank you. Like it all makes sense. The end. <laughs> Stop right there. But I, I mean like your character, the aesthetic of everything, the room, the fact that the audience like doesn't know what they're getting into, frankly, like it all it all just sets up to be such a good show. Thank you. How well, how did that come about, like the character development? Well, again, you know, it's another argument for uh evolution. Uh huh as opposed to uh, creationism. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't create what's there. Okay. It evolved over years. Mm-hmm. And what it evolved from initially, I mean, when I, back to George Sands, it kind of goes back to that a little bit. So when I saw George Sands, um, finally, I, I didn't see him the first time he came to Loyal, but the second time he, I did go and see the lecture, and I'd been working on his tricks for a while. And so when I finally saw him, I, when he does the rope trick, he puts on this straw hat, and he assumes this persona. And it's like this uh, um, really backwards, uh, unsure of himself person. And I love that, but I didn't want to do him. And I... I had sort of been goofing around with this guy, this character, uh, playing a guy from Belgium for no reason. I don't know why Belgium, <laughs> except for no one knows, you know, what the language is in Belgium and Flemish mm-hmm. and okay. French. And, and so, no, and so it would seem like a goofy place to be from. And so I, and then Lance, another Lance Burton thing, um, Lance brought me this uh, goofy Viking helmet uh, with the horns and everything. And uh, it was plastic and the horns were styrofoam and it was cheap and crappy. Uh, But he said, this is funny, you should wear this. So I'm wearing this Viking helmet and I'm saying I'm from Belgium and I'm talking with a foreign accent. And I'm this really uh, shy, unsure of himself person. And I'm doing the... Hello, my name is the Baron Maximilian von King. It was a little more uh, even accenty than that. <laughs> sure. I haven't done it in a long time. But uh, so I pretended to be this foreign guy, a baron from Belgium, and I'm doing this thing, and I'm really hesitant and unsure. And I did that for a number of years. Actually, did the whole show like that. Wow! Not just the rope trick. I did the whole show like that. And uh, do you remember who Andy Kaufman was? Yes. Yeah. So. So Andy Kaufman shows up on TV. Okay. And now, after my show, people keep coming up to me and going, oh, that was really great. You reminded me of Andy Kaufman. That was really great. Just like Andy Kaufman. I'm like, oh, crap. I don't want to be just like Andy Kaufman. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing I did was I took out the uh, accent partway through the show. So I did the whole show as an a- in an accent until the man's money was burnt up. Oh, and then that's I came funny. out of character uh, and said, "Oh, I don't," you know. Then I became Mac King, and and I I hoped that lent some credence to the fact that there had been a genuine accident and the guy's money was genuinely burnt up. And so uh, really I did that funny. for a while, like <laughs> that. And so then that then the show resolved. You know, the guy's money came back, and the show resolved itself at the end. So that was the first step in 
de-Belgianizing <laughs> the Matt King show. What was the what? Why? Why that? Why was there a beginning? Why was there a Big Bang of Belgian? Matt I King? don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I had just been goofing off, you know, with friends doing this foreign guy, and that they were like, "Oh, that is so funny. You should do your act like that." Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna try, and I did it, and it got laughs, and it was fun. And, but I, there was no, I mean, I didn't set out to do it. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing in my life that I set out. You know, I don't, I'm not one of those person, one of those people who writes down their seven year plan or their goal for next month and then their goal for a year. I don't have any of that crap. I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm just, just living my little magic life and it's worked out, you know, so far really great. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have any plan. So, uh, you know, the world, I'm buffeted about by the world. <laughs> and, uh, Just and happy to be that way. Yeah. Um, so I did that. And then I, so then I cut out the Belgium at the end and it was fine. And so it came, you know, and, but that was, that was a crutch. Cause I did that for a long time, that foreign guy, you know, I mean, a long time. It seemed like at the time, you know, probably four years or more. Uh, yeah. I did that. Yeah. And so, you know, from the time I was like, 16, 15, somewhere in there to 1920, 21, somewhere in there. And so uh, uh, I did that. And then, but that kind of gave me the courage to stop. Yeah. And by taking it, you know, by being myself the last 10 minutes of the show or five minutes of the show, it gave me the courage to be myself or at least closer to myself for the whole show. And I tried it and it, it was good. And, and um, so then, and I, it used to be when I first started being Matt King instead of the Baron Maximilian von King, uh, I was even more hesitant and unsure of myself and more of a dork than I am now. Uh, I really accentuated that part of my personality. Um, so uh, my, I kind of, my, my theory was that if I start the ex expectations of the audience really low, like, so suppose I can, at the peak, I can get, I can raise the audience's level of excitement to 10. Mm -hmm. Well, if I start at five and go to 10, that's pretty good. But if I start at negative two and go to 10, that's a much bigger journey to take people on during the show. Yes. And so, um, that's what I wanted to do. And that was my theory. And so I did it that, you know, I mean, I would have, you know, terrible introduction. I would come out, you know, sometimes I would have the uh, MC of the show I was on, you know, cause most of this was in comedy clubs. Yeah. Uh, so I would have the MC even like sort of drag me on stage. Like I didn't want to be on stage and I was so scared to be up there. And, um, this was in the 80s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I started out, uh, the comedy clubs kind of just sprouted up the early 80s, and I got in on the ground floor of that. Kinda, mm -hmm. you know, that was kind of when the first clubs started springing up outside of Chicago and New York and L.A. And so I was in the Midwest, Minneapolis, it was where I went to school, and then back to Kentucky after I graduated college. So right around in there, there were small clubs springing up, and so I got in kind of early, so I was—I never was an opening act. The format 
for those of you who don't know, uh, is an opening act who MCs and does maybe 10 to 15 minutes, and then a middle act who does 30 minutes, and then headliner does 45 minutes to an hour. And so I got in as a middle act, and so I would have the MC drag me on stage and, you know, have me say, you know, the introduction would be something like, um, you know, we've had a cancellation, and uh, the uh, club owner's nephew is here, and he's a magician. He's not really a comedian, and I don't know how good of a magician he is. And so, you know, I, 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 I hate to spring this on you guys last minute, but be nice to him. Yeah. And then so then I would come up. <laughs> so that was it. So that was I was trying to really start as low as possible and get up to that tent. And over the years, I mean, it just it dawned on me or became apparent to me that um, instead of starting at negative two and going to 10, if I started at five, you know, so that's a, so if you start at negative two and you go to 10, that's a jump of 12 levels. We'll yes. say. Yeah. Yeah. But if I start at five, then I can go to 17. It's still the same journey, mm -hmm. but we end on a much higher note. And yeah. So that's kind of, I don't, I mean, I don't know this could just all be bullshit and in my head, but it's, <laughs> But that's the operating system that I'm working with uh, in my brain. So that's kind of how that evolved over the years. That was a long ass answer. It was a perfect answer. Oh, good. It was All perfect. Right. That's so fascinating. So is that that must be sort of how you differentiated yourself in that? Because there were a lot of magicians in comedy clubs. Well, when I started, there weren't. I mean, you know, I mean, Amazing Jonathan was already established. Harry Anderson was headlining those clubs at that time. Um, there were a couple of other people, um, you know, kind of in the same boat as me, same age as me, Michael Finney, uh, Kozak, uh, another guy named uh, Doug Doan from Chicago, who's, I don't know what he's doing now, but there were a few people, but not many. And, you know, I mean, that really, it was such a great training ground for me. Because, uh, I mean, I worked with a lot of great comics. So I'm in the back of the room watching all these headline guys and watching how they structure their act and watching how they are observing how they are during the week. Because you're living with these guys in a lot of places. You're sharing a condo for a week with these acts. Mm -hmm. And so for me, seeing how those guys, how they worked on their act was really, really uh, insightful for me. I, you know... They would record every show, and then the next day when they got up, you know, they would listen, and then they'd make notes, and it was um, it was a crazy great experience for me getting that kind of education, and also, and when I transitioned to headlining those clubs, you know, I mean, a lot of times the club owners aren't even in the room, mm -hmm. you know, she can be back in the off office counting money or ordering beer or whatever, and you know. She doesn't see the people reacting to magic. She only hears laughs. Yeah. And so, you know, the laughs per minute become really important. And, you know, you want it to be a constant sure. you know, in those clubs. And so um, I feel really like, you know, that was one of the things I really wanted to do after watching these comics is, you know, have those laughs per minute. But also, you know, I mean, I'm a magician. I really love being a magician. I mean, Penn, Gillette, Penn, you know, and has told me, he said, you know, you would be way more famous if you dropped all this magic bullshit. And Jay Leno, the same, you know, that 
few times I've worked with him, he said, you don't need this. You, you're too funny to be doing magic tricks. And, um, it's so funny that, that that magic is the thing you should drop. Like, yeah. isn't that indicative yeah. of how little respect magic yeah, it is? is. Like, and, and, you know, and you know, and that was the stigma too in those clubs. You know, I mean, guys would go before I kind of had been doing it a long time and knew, you know, made a bunch of friends. When I was, you know, anytime I would work with somebody for the first time, if they had, if we didn't have mutual friends or and they hadn't heard about me or didn't know me, you know, I mean, I was used to that. Yeah, uh, that disdain, that you know, initial and but then once they see that you're working on your show, this you know, that you're it's not just magic tricks out of the catalog and not just lame jokes that every other magician they've seen is doing, uh, then you know, then they there's a grudging amount of respect <laughs> given, yeah. and you know, and that and I really you know, I mean, now when I'm doing the show, I mean, this is a tangent, but now when I'm doing the show, I wear a lavalier mic. And it's it makes the show a lot easier. But when I was working those clubs, you know, I made it a point not to have a clip-on mic and not to wear the mic in a little harness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to look like I was a stand-up comic, yeah, who was doing magic tricks. And so I, you know, the mic on the stand and you know all the stuff was choreographed so that I didn't have to, um, you know, wear the mic and. And I, uh, I didn't want to, you know, have anything preset on stage, and I didn't want to leave anything on stage when I was done. Stage was clear when I came up, and the stage was clear when I left. And um, you know, it was like a, you know, just a, just one little thing I could do to make myself, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. You wanted to fit in, so yeah, that you didn't I wanted get to all fit in, and then crap. you know, and then after, and then after a week or so, you know, you, it's like, oh yeah. He's kind of one of us. He still has got props in his act, but he's still, you know, he thinks like a comedian. That's the yeah. highest compliment I can give. And his act, and my act is kind of structured like some comedians act with callbacks and yeah. that kind of stuff. I, it's, well, at that point, I mean, it's not just about fooling people. It's about making a really positive, fun, entertaining experience. Well, but yeah, but, uh, but uh, and I, I meant to go back to that, and I didn't. I'm glad you said that. Because, I mean, I, I also... Wanted it to be a kick-ass magic show. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I didn't. It wasn't. I wanted it to be as funny as I could make it, but also as mind-punching. You know, you know where you go. Holy fuck! That's a. How did he do that? Yeah. I wanted some of that in there too. So the so the most of the magic isn't there as a joke. No, of course, yeah. it's, It's there to be a magic show with lots of laughs. How did you, how did you start out? Because I know, like, for, for magicians, there isn't really a place where you can go and be bad like there is for new comics starting. But I went to those places. I mean, I when I so, but kind of my club, were you know that era in the Matt King show, <laughs> comedy clubs, started when I was in college. I went to school at McAllister College in St. Paul, and. Um, Clubs were, like I said, just kind of sprouting up. And so there was a little place in Minneapolis uh, called Mickey Finn's. And uh, there was me and um, uh, Louis Anderson, a comedian who's famous now. Oh, yeah. Um, And a couple of, Jeff Gerbino was another guy's name, and Dan Martin, I want to say, maybe. Uh, But anyway, there were a few guys in there, Bill Bauer, um, in that 
you know, who would come in every week. There was just, you know, once a, one night a week there, but we would all show up and all do 10 minutes and, it, you know, and I did it every week and that was like my junior and senior years, I think. And then, uh, but there were also like amateur nights at, um, like, you know, music clubs and I would go in and do that too and enter those contests and just wherever. And, um, you know, and that also, I mean, that helped, you know, I didn't have to have any presets. I mean, I, that was also a thing. Although, uh, when I first started, we'll say I, I would carry a little table. I, I didn't have a suitcase. When I first started, I would carry a little table and these are in the first clubs I did. I would carry a little table with my props on it and set that up there. And then I would carry that off at the end. I didn't have everything in a little briefcase or a suitcase. Um, but one of the first clubs I ever did, uh, just to tell a story that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, uh, it was in Cincinnati. Uh, I think it was, the place was called DWI in Cincinnati. And, uh, they had comedy on the weekends. And so the, this was like one of the first paid comedy clubs I did. And it wasn't even a club, except for, you know, Friday and Saturday or something. And, so I'm the middle act in this little club and I go on stage and I'm doing my little spot and I didn't really have 30 minutes of material. I, you know, so the, I did the rope trick and then I had another thing that I, I don't even remember what I did, maybe invisible deck or something. And then the money trick at the end. And, but so I'm getting to the money trick and this guy is drunk as shit. <laughs> and, uh, his money, he thinks his, you know, $20 is gone. And he, grabs me by my tie. Oh, man. And then he picks up the scissors that I'd used earlier. They're sitting on this little table. He picks up those scissors and he holds the point of those scissors up to my neck. <laughs> oh, my God. And I mean, you can just hear, you know, you can hear the, you know, buttholes <laughs> tighten up in the audience. Everybody <laughs> clenching in unison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, no, it's silence. Yeah. Because, you know, people are scared. And they, you know, I'm this little idiot. And I think at that point I was probably still wearing the Viking helmet. I was the Baron Maximilian von King, maybe even. I don't remember. You know, my chronology is. They're bad. about to see a kid get murdered. Though. Yeah, they're about <laughs> to see this idiot get murdered. And and so he grabs my tie, pulls my face over, sticks those scissors up, and he then he cuts my tie off with those scissors. Mm -hmm. Throws the tie and the scissors on the ta on the stage, and storms out of the building and leaves me standing there did you finish stunned. the <laughs> well i said uh, you know <laughs> I don't, I, all i remember is i believe i believe what happened was i mean i'm like is he coming back he's not coming back you know what that means and i unzip my it was just the money was in the wallet at that yeah. time uh, and i unzipped the wallet so that means, look, his money's here with his signature on it. That means I just get to use his $20 to pay for my tie. And that was the end of the show. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. <laughs> that was oh, so scary. Oh, man. That's so, insane. So, so, after the, so, after, so that was like one of the first times I ever worked the club. And the next night, the next day, I went out and bought a briefcase <laughs> and put all my crap in the briefcase so that the guy... Can't so just reach can't over. Can't just reach over and pick something up off my little table. Uh, the lessons you learn. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, it evolved into that. I didn't create, you know, I didn't decide to do that. It was necessity. Yeah. <laughs>
So then when when did you come out to Actually before I ask that I want to ask you you're good friends with Lance Burton and you guys kind of came up together. Yeah, we worked for 3 summers uh doing you know that's kind of where we both got the basics of our act. I mean, we worked for 3 summers in this uh, little amusement park called Tombstone Junction. And to call it an amusement park is uh, generous. <laughs> they had the, there was one ride, and it wasn't uh, like a thrill ride or even like a tilt-a-whirl. It was a train ride. It was you know an old steam locomotive that went around uh, a track and got robbed by gunfighters. You know, and the sheriff came out and saved everybody. And um, that was the ride. But there was it was country music um, and then a magic show in the saloon. Which is really the, you know, uh, lunch plate. Well, oh, no, 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 okay. no, it's tables and chairs, and people are eating hamburgers and drinking coke. So oh, it's great. like a, it's more of a, you know, snack bar, but but <laughs> but with tables and chairs. Sure. I mean, yeah. So I mean, we could. I think. I don't know. My recollection is that there was that you could jam two hundred people in there, <laughs> but it might have been a few more. I don't know. And then on Sundays, though, in the big, they had a big amphitheater. And on Sundays, they would have country music stars, Conway Twitty and Barbara Mandrell. And at the time, you know, those were the biggest guys. And so they would they would come on Sunday and then we would do a show out there on this in this amphitheater. And um, so we did that for three summers in a row, you know, three shows a day, at least sometimes more mm -hmm. seven days a week. And wow. So and then we lived there in a, uh, you know, like a house you know like a uh, mobile home two-bedroom mobile home uh on the park grounds and but we had access to the theater you know the theater this we had access to the stage <laughs> which was at one end of this room and uh lights and sound and so we you know we would do our shows in the day but the park you know the park was closed by six thirty or 7 it wasn't open late and sure. so we, then we would spend we weren't you know, chasing girls, uh, we would spend the nights, you know, working on our acts in this little, on this little stage. And so it was, you know, his act, you know, the bird act. And we also had, you know, I don't, did you ever see Lance's show live? I didn't know. Um, well, he did this on the tonight show. He had this, uh, sword fight trick that he did. It was an exchange illusion. And so we did an early version of that to close our show too. And, uh, so, uh, so he would do his bird act, and then I would do a short little bit, and then we would do a little bit together where we produced a rabbit, and then I, then I would do a longer spot, and then we would do another thing together at the end to close. And it was like 35 minutes, our little magic show. But it was, you know, him doing his bird act and me doing the cut and restored rope and the money trick, and, you know, that we were like 17. Yeah. And it was unbelievable, you know, just a great experience. And, you know, I mean... It's great. It, that's one really important piece of advice if people are looking for advice is to um, find somebody whose opinion you respect and work on shows with them. Um, and because you know, having somebody you really like watch your show and tell you honestly what's crappy about it or what you make sure you keep um, is uh, is really invaluable. And so that was great for you know. Me watching his show, I hope was good for him. But I know him watching my show was really great for me, and also really influenced my show working with him. I mean, because 
um, you know, he did a manipulation act, and that was kind of all he did at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have, we didn't have big illusions. He didn't have a big illusion show. Uh, that happened after he moved to Las Vegas. So his manipulation act really influenced my stand-up act in that there's all sorts of body loads in my act. And I don't know of any other comedy magician who really has that kind of thing where, you know, stuff's, you know, where I'm loading stuff into shoes and stuff. But it's, and it's kind of like a manipulation act. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I've got like 32 things shoved <laughs> in my coat and pants when I walk out on stage and then, you know, by the end of the show, it's all gone. It's like putting bu- birds and cards and candles and, but I don't have any of that shit. Sure. <laughs> That's so funny. I Because I would notice watching the show, I'd be like, that was some sort of body load. Um, Hi, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bill Volkner. He's the producer of the Matt King show. <laughs> Bye, Bill. <laughs> um, but I would notice, I'd be like, holy cow, he's, I mean... How much do you weigh with everything on, and then? <laughs> you know, after I should do show. that. I don't know. I don't know what the weight difference is. It's it's a, you know, it's some you know, it's probably fifteen pounds. I mean, there's a rock <laughs> and a drink and a telephone and uh, I don't know uh, what else. Uh, all sorts of crap in there. Cereal boxes and uh, numerous fig newtons. Numerous fig newtons and yeah. What is the story behind the fig newton? Uh. The, so the story, there is a story behind the fig newton. Again, I didn't think of it; it just happened. Sure. And so nothing, you know. I'm again, I'm buffeted about by the world. <laughs> um, so, uh, first time I worked the close-up room at the Magic Castle, I was doing a version of the uh, homing card, card in the pocket that mm-hmm. I do in the show now. Now I don't; the card doesn't even go to my pocket at all. <laughs> But then it went to my pocket twice, and then it uh, into my fly, and then it ended up um, in a wallet, I think, in an envelope at that point. This was, you know, 30 years ago sure. or more now. Um, so I'm doing the show, and at one point, the woman who's helping uh, reaches in my pocket and comes out empty-handed. The card's not in there. And, well, let's backtrack. <laughs> We rewind just a little bit. So, um, so I do the show the first night, and I, I, I was living in Kentucky still at the time, and I'd flown to Las Vegas and hung out with Lance for a couple days, and then gone from Las Vegas to Los Angeles to work at the Magic Castle in the close-up room for the first time. I'd worked in the palace, but I'd never worked in the close-up room, and so, and I was staying with Max Maven also giant influence on my show. Really, really, really helpful. Um, anyway, I'm staying at Max's and Max had been in Las Vegas as well, staying at Lance's. The three of us had been hanging out for a couple days. And then we, Max and I, um, somebody drove us from Las Vegas to LA. I worked the first night, Billy McComb, who was an idol of mine, but I hadn't met. So Billy, uh, comes back after the first night and he's, and he's talking to me and I'd never met him before and I was really jazzed and, uh, and I was Lance had been sick this is a rambly story I don't know if it, but it does go somewhere um, and it answers your question okay so uh, so Lance had been sick and then uh, Max and I both got 
that same coal. So I'm staying at Max's. Billy comes back and he says, where are you staying? I say, I'm staying with Max Maven. And he goes, well, he's sick too. You're never going to get well staying with Max. Come stay with me. You know, I used to be a doctor. And Billy, before he was a magician, was a doctor. And I, I said, I did not know you were a doctor, but, you know, how can I pass up the opportunity to move into Billy McCombs' apartment sure. for the rest of the week? So I do that. And so I'm working at night, but I, the daytimes I kind of spend laying on Billy's couch <laughs> listening to him talk. It was fantastic. And uh, one morning he said, uh, hey, I'm going to the grocery. Uh, would you like anything? And I said, yeah, can you get me like a big jug of orange juice and a package of Fig Newtons? And that was like comfort food to me. My grandfather, my dad's dad, used to always have Fig Newtons at his house when I was a little kid, and I loved those cookies. And so, you know, just a little touch of home, away from home, and I was feeling sick and crappy. And so that sounded like a little piece of comfort for me. So he thought that was hilarious. So that <laughs> night, he's telling everybody, can you believe the lad wanted Fig Newtons? <laughs> and everybody thinks that's funny. So the next night, after Billy tells that little story on me, I'm doing my show, and I didn't real unbeknownst to me, James DeMare, I don't even know that name, but James is a magician from Canada originally, but uh, moved to L.A., now he lives here in Las Vegas, but James had heard that story and thought it was funny, and so he had snuck into my dressing room at the castle and filled my pockets with Fig Newtons. I didn't know they were there. So it was a joke on me. He, he has my pockets filled with Fig Newtons. And I go back and put on my suit and go out and do the show. I didn't check to see if there was anything in my pockets. So the woman is supposed to reach in my pocket and come out empty-handed. Uh -huh. And she comes out with a handful of Fig Newtons, which fooled me <laughs> and everyone. And uh, got a giant laugh. And from me and the audience, and especially from James, sitting in the back corner of the room, <laughs> really laughing. And uh, so that stayed. I mean, it's like, that's so funny, and it fits me so well. And so so at least I knew enough. To keep to, it. Yeah, not to have that be a one-time occurrence. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how Figments are in the show. And <sighs> so, and once something's in there, I mean, you know, if I do have any skill, it's sort of... Uh, taking something that I already have and, you know, incorporating it deeper into the whole show. And, you know, it, so if there's a line or if there's a big Newton or if there's some quirk, physical quirk that I have or whatever, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm good at working that into different places in the show. Mm -hmm. Well, that, I think that comes, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that probably comes from touring and being on the road with comedians and seeing how they incorporate that's right I think that's right I mean you 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 realize that you know uh, these guys who are really good I mean there's there's certain you know everybody's different but the people that appeal to me are the people who the comedians who appeal to me when I was watching them are people who are really in the moment. They're not just reciting their acts. They, you know, there's some you know really great joke writers and really great performers who 
it's more like a play than mm-hmm. it is a genuine interaction. But the people that really appealed to me were the ones who were really listening to the audience. And it seemed like, whether that was true or not, it seemed like they were adjusting on the fly to what happened. They're playing the room. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just to put it more succinctly. <laughs> <laughs> And so, well, so that's, is that, you know, is that something that you're, I mean, obviously that's something that you're doing because it, yeah, you, you bring up people constantly. That, you, know, and, I mean, you know, you talk, go back to Chris's thing about, you know, ask him how long he's been doing that crap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and if I had only just been doing that crap for all those years, yeah, then I'd be sick of it too. Sure. And I'm not sick of it. And I think that part of that is because it really is different for me every time. I mean, I have this you know, destination mm-hmm. that I want to get to, but I don't, you know, I've done it so many times that I'm really comfortable, I think, going down a side road and knowing that I can wind my way back to that destination at the end. You know, I mean, I know that card is going to end up inside the cereal box, or I know that that guy's money is going to end up in my phone, or that, you know, that, uh, I'm going to eat that pig or whatever. I sure. know that's where it's going, but it's, you know, the journey to that, you know, is, you know, it's better if if I'm listening to the audience and they realize that what they're seeing is special. Yeah. The yeah. show, you know, if you're at the three o'clock show, I want you to somewhere in the back, even if it's just in the back of your head, realize that what you're seeing isn't what I, exactly what the one o'clock people saw. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really important. Yeah. I think that's, I, I, I love that. I totally agree with that. And I think that that's a beautiful, uh, way to do a show. And then on the other side of that, there are magicians that have come and seen your show 20, 30 times and do your lines with you. And, you know, just, it, it's one of those things that like you've boiled it down to being so, I, I mean, it, you I'm just reiterating what you just said, basically, is that you, you know where you're going, and now you can play around before yeah. you get there. Um, That's the idea, yeah. anyway. I mean, you know, I mean, there are people that are better at it than me, or at least, or, like, I mean, I, you know, I look at, like, uh, David Williamson, mm-hmm. for example, and I don't think David even cares about his destination. <laughs> He's so funny and so great that, uh, and so brave, too, braver than me. Um, and so, I, I mean, I don't think I have that, I mean, I don't think I have that level of skill or bravery to do what exactly what he does. What do you mean? Um, I think David doesn't even care if the trick finishes. You know, he's so confident that he's going to be funny enough that people don't give a shit, you know, whether the card is the same and, uh, you know, whether the trick even makes sense. And, and I don't have that level uh, <laughs> uh, uh, surety and <laughs> that that's going to be okay. I, sure. I, 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 I do, you know, I'm, I fall back on that destination uh-huh. still. <laughs> well, there's uh, sure. There's also that context of you have a show in Las Vegas in this big room, people paid to. Yeah. It, maybe it there's sense. that too. Yeah. But when you do corporate work, are you just doing, it's from the show, or yeah, are you it's doing... the you know some of the uh, like the Elvis Liberace thing. Mm-hmm. I've only traveled with that one time. I mean, that, I mean, that, but it that doesn't go. I have another trick to, that 
I used to used as the encore in clubs, and so that takes that the place of that. That's not in the show normally here in Las Vegas. The um, the guinea pig trick doesn't travel. You can't fly with guinea pigs. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, not like a cat or a dog. Uh, guinea pigs. Guinea pigs don't make noise though. I know they won't, but they're it's you're not allowed to take them on a plane. Um, and I think it's because they don't have vaccinations and that kind of stuff. You know? Okay. So I think that's the reason, but I can't get a real explanation for why. You know, dogs and cats and uh, whatever, but you don't have papers sure. for your pigs. I guess I don't. Know. Anyway, so the guinea pig trick doesn't travel. The uh, tent uh, with the bear. Um, if they want to pay an extra airfare and to have somebody do lighting and all that, then that I can and wing space, then I can do that. But that one's not always in a corporate show. The corporate show is kind of when I was working in clubs. I mean, um, at the time, the idea for me was it wouldn't go in my show if it wouldn't fit in the overhead compartment sure. on the airplane. So I had a little suitcase. So when I would travel, I would take a garment bag and my little suitcase for my act, and those would just travel. You know, I didn't check any, I mean, I checked bag, but that was my regular clothes and, sure. you know, uh, airbrush. <laughs> but um, the uh, but the show, I didn't want out of my hands. Now, of course, I, now yeah. I have to check it. I can't put those scissors and the, oh, the sure. rock and all that crap. They won't let you. <laughs> Used to be you could carry that on. Uh, it would still go through an x-ray machine. That was always fun. You know, what is this crap? <laughs> Props for magic shows. So every so often I'd have to do a trick. <laughs> sure. X-ray guy. But now it's impossible. So that it used to be that my goal was it, it, it all fit in that one little suitcase. But now since I've been in the same spot, you know, and I can, I have this opulent dressing room. <laughs> Hot tea on the floor. Um, I have this since I have this opulence, um, then I can have some stuff that stays here. Sure, it doesn't have to, you know, fold up into nothing. <laughs> um, how are we doing? Oh, we got. We're good. Okay. Um, is can you tell the story of the cut and restored thumb? <laughs> well, I can. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so. Uh, and then this will lead into something that Chris wanted me to ask you. All right. Oh, okay. Oh, does that involve David? I don't know. It might. It involves a goldfish. Oh, okay. That's a different thing. No, okay. that doesn't involve. I'm going to write down David though. And get All right. That. So, uh, so the rope trick I do, like I said, I've been doing it a really, really long time. Yes. And I can kind of do it without thinking about it, and often do. But what I am thinking about, I mean, the reason it's at the beginning of the show, it's a couple of reasons. Um, it's one of the few tricks I have that doesn't involve any audience people uh, on stage with me. Also, though, um, it's also, uh, it's sort of the most magic trick, you know, stereotypical magic trick thing in the show. Sure. You know, it, and... Um, so again, I'm trying to set the bar pretty low at the beginning. <laughs> so it's like, oh crap, a rope trick. I've seen it, seen it, seen it. And as that trick goes on, it gets more and more. I think, holy wait, what? <laughs> uh, 
so that that serves that purpose. But it also the the largest purpose that it serves is it. I can do it without looking at it or thinking about it, and so it, that allows me to use my brain to scope out various people in who I'm going to use. You know, all right, that woman's really laughing. Great, she'll be good for the first card trick that I use. And that guy's got a watch, and he's sitting in the right spot, and blah, 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 all these little things that, for reasons that I want to pick people. So I can watch people and see how they react to that trick and make mental notes that, okay, that's guy, a good guy for that guy, trick. You're mapping he's, ahead. I'm mapping ahead. Yeah. And, and I'm not thinking about the rope trick. <laughs> uh, I mean, I am. But mostly I'm just kind of seeing which audience members react well and what areas of the audience are you're, you know, chatting or, you know, just kind of getting a sense of what's going on with that particular show. Um, and so in, this was Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and the show was in like a lounge in the Radisson or the Hilton. And, you know, so up in the top of this, you know, hotel in downtown Charlotte and, the, um, uh, so I do this, I'm doing the rope trick and it's just, you know, it's just a little platform at the end you know, of the room bar at one end audience, then the little stage that they had. And they had comedy, uh, like, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There. It was part of a run called the comedy zone, which I think still exists in the Southeast. And so I'm doing this show, and I'm doing the rope trick, and the scissors I use are really sharp, really sharp, because I, you know, nothing, it's another little piece of advice, nothing looks stupider than a magician gnawing at that piece of rope, trying to cut it with crappy scissors. You know, it shouldn't be easier to restore the rope than it is to cut it, <laughs> I think. Sure. So when I bought, you know, when I started working on the rope trick, one of the things I did was took a bunch of that rope into a cutlery store that had scissors, a bunch of different kinds of scissors, and I had them bring out all their scissors, and I cut this rope. It was, you know, an odd little moment for the people at the store, I'm sure, but I found the best pair of scissors that I could for that. And so they're really sharp. And the thing about really sharp scissors is they're, you know, whatever you put between those jaws, it's going to cut. So I'm doing this, and I accidentally just cut off a little bit of the end of my left thumb. I'm, and it, you know, and in my brain, it actually made like a noise. You know, oh god! Because <laughs> you know, you could see, you know, there's two lights, you know, shining on the stage, and so uh, this little piece, you know, in silhouette for me, oh, uh, lands on the table. Right, you know, and this, you know, the tables in this little room were, you know, right up on the edge of the stage. Yeah. And so this lands right on the front table. This little piece of me. And you know how when you cut yourself, you like put your finger over it. Uh-huh. And now you, you're scared to look. You don't want to look. <laughs> and, you, and then you lift your finger off of that cut. And I, I looked, and I'm like, oh, I guess it's gonna be okay. And then. Blood. Oh, oh gosh! And uh, so the end of my thumb is really bleeding, and uh, so uh, I had been working on a trick uh, with band aids. 
and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I have any band-aids in my little suitcase. And I'm so I'm holding my thumb with one hand and with my right hand what? I'm looking through the suitcase here, trying to see if I have any I don't have any band-aids, but I did have a look roll of clear like scotch tape. Yeah. Well, this is good as better than nothing. And I wrap that around my thumb. How is the audience reacting? I don't remember at that point. I don't remember how they were reacting at that point. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that tape didn't do anything except for, like, direct the flow of blood. <laughs> you know, it didn't. Nothing. And uh, so I kind of get through the rope trick, you know, blood, little spots of blood all over the rope uh, throughout the trick. And I kind of get through the rope trick, and I throw, I finish that the way I normally do, uh, throwing it out, the rope out in the audience. And uh, hello, hi Dave. <laughs> Dave's a light and sound guy. Oh. How you doing? <laughs> uh, good. We're recording a podcast. <laughs> Got anything to say about the Matt King show? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I throw the rope out into the audience, and uh, I say to the audience, normally at this point, I would get a woman, whoever I'd thrown the rope to. Whoever caught the rope would come up on the stage and help with a trick. But I think under the circumstances, it's best if uh, there was a doctor or a nurse <laughs> Is there a, in the audience. And a woman said, I'm a nurse, I'm a nurse. So she comes up and she looks at my thumb and now she like goes into nurse mode. Uh -huh. And uh, she steps between me and the mic, she kind of pushes me aside. And she calls to the bar in the back of the room. She said, up, hey, back at the bar. Send up a first aid kit and uh, a shot of vodka. All right. I'm like, a shot of vodka? I, you know, I don't really drink. <laughs> and uh, she, and uh, so I realized that she's, that's not for me to drink. Yeah. It's to sterilize my thumb. And so she makes me dip my thumb into this glass of vodka. And, I mean, it's like... Uh, you know, again, trying to always think on my feet. It's like, I mean, it's instantly just shoo, shot through with blood. And I say, ah, water to wine. Just like <laughs> Jesus. And, uh, uh, and then I set that glass down on the front table and say, Madam, Bloody Mary with my compliments. <laughs> That's great. So I get, yeah, That's so great. I'm, just, I'm just trying. And she bandages up my thumb. We do the card trick. I fumble through the rest of the show with this bandage on my thumb and I, uh, I, uh, go up to my, uh, uh, wife who was traveling with me at the time. At the time we were on our way to LA. We were, I was, we were moving. She's from Kentucky as well. She and I were moving from Kentucky to California. Uh, but we were living in our car. Uh, we had driven one car. We had two cars. We had driven one to LA and left it with some friends. And then, then we were, uh, in her car, uh, and we were kind of traveling from city to city and uh, going to end up in L.A. after, like, you know, two months on the road. Sure. And uh, it was really fun. Anyway, so I go up to the hotel room, and she's up there, and because she's not watching my show <laughs> at that point. Uh, so, and I, uh, she's, she's like, how was it? And I'm like, well, you know, it's good. I cut off the end of my thumb. And she's like, what? At first, she thought I was just joking. Cause yeah. Because I, I, I tend to do that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I 
called, and she says, what? Oh, oh my goodness, you have to go to the hospital. Eh, I probably should go to the hospital just to have it looked at, but I don't think it's any problem. But uh, before we go to the hospital, though, uh, I have to do the second show. So there's another show that night. And uh, so I go back down, and I do the second show with the bandage on my thumb. And um, I packed up after the show, and I'm leaving, and this guy, this kind of weird little guy who I'd seen sort of sitting at the edge of the bar watching the show, and he's kind of tugging on my jacket as I'm leaving. Hey, Matt King, Matt King, you were great. Oh, thank you, sir. And, I, you know, I'm kind of torn because I like hearing how great I was. <laughs> I, also, I also, my wife's waiting down at the you know, entrance to the hotel with the car to take me to, to have my thumb looked at. And uh, so I said, uh, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. He says, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, wait, wait. Uh, I just want a, qu- a question, quick question. Uh, I, I really love the show so much, and I, I was here the first show. And uh, I loved it so much, I came back and I watched it again, the second show. And I was a little disappointed in the second show. Uh, <laughs> Why? What? That was a good show. <laughs> Why? Uh, I mean, it's, I didn't say that, but I mean, in the back of my head, now I'm stopped. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I want to hear what was wrong with the second show. And he says, I was a little disappointed. That first show, you know, when you cut off your thumb, that was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And the second show, I was a little disappointed that you didn't do that. So, I guess I made it seem enough like it was part of the show, the first show, that the poor idiot was disappointed that I didn't do it the second show. And so, and the reason I brought David into that was yeah. um, not the trick I do in the show, but I came up with another trick, uh, like a do as I do. I called it Mac King's other rope routine, and uh, <laughs> and it was a, a manuscript that I sell. And it was like a do-as-I-do rope routine where the spectator and you, she follows along with you and cuts a rope in half and uh, yours goes back together and then hers goes back together in her hands. And I sold that to David. And uh, so I'd just come up with it. I put it out on the market. Uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not in the magic trick business. I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I put, I wrote it up and sold a few uh, Mike Caveney, a friend of mine, uh, good friend of David, said, "Hey, you know, David might really like this trick. You should show it." So I went to David and showed it to him, and he's, he said, "How many of these have you sold?" I said, "I don't know, 50. He said, "All right, don't sell anymore." And, uh, and so David did it on TV, and he he fixed it. I mean, I, you know, it was it, he turned it into something way better than it was. But his routine was based on this little manuscript that I sold. And so once doing that trick, David cut off the end of his finger. <laughs> but he canceled the rest of the show and the next show. So I just wanted to be known <laughs> that I did it. <laughs> Finished the show and did the next show. Uh, way more of a man than David Copperfield. So there's that. <laughs> no, uh, Chris wanted me to ask about... Um, if it was true that you swallowed a goldfish during one of your shows and then vomited in your case. That's very true. No, that's not entirely true. Okay. <laughs> Here's what happened. So I have this goldfish trick. Yes. And uh, the, I had been on, um, I don't forget what show. I, I'd been on something and... Uh, I'd done a trick, and then they said, have you got anything else? And I said, I have this 
goldfish trick. And they and they said, oh yeah, we would. They wanted me to do it on the Donnie Marie show. They had a daytime TV talk show at the time. This okay. was almost twenty years ago, probably. And they had it. And so uh, they said, could you do that with Donnie and Marie holding those glasses? You know, well, I catch a fish and drop it in the glass, and then I spit out a fish into the other glass. And they said, could you do that with Donnie Marie holding the glasses? That would be perfect. I'm like, yeah, uh, I could. I, you know, at the time when I first started doing that trick, I didn't have anybody on stage with me. Mm-hmm. I just had a little a glass sitting on a bar stool and I would drop the fish into it. And then I would pick up the glass and second glass and spit the fish into it. And I said, yeah, there's no reason not to. And, you know, after thinking about it, after a while, I'm going, I'm an idiot for not having people on stage because, I mean, a big part of that trick is watching, you know, here in Las Vegas, when there's a when there's a kid in the audience, I always get a kid and the kid's holding that glass and the glass is right in front of the kid's face. And so me spitting that glass and the kid watching it uh, and the expression on the kid's face makes that trick a thousand times better. And I'm an idiot for not thinking of that again buffeted about by the world. Um, so that's going to be the title of my book. Uh, buffeted so, about the buffeted memoir. about the Matt King story. Um, so, so I didn't want the first time I did it with people to be on the Donnie Marie show. So I got two people up and I was, the, and the first time I did it, uh, this was at a little casino here in Las Vegas called the Maxim. So the first time I did it with people on stage was there at the Maxim and I get two people up and I'm, uh, I go to load this fish in my mouth, uh, in the secret manner that I do. <laughs> and the fish, I mean, it goes back into the back of my throat, yeah, down my throat. And it's kind of, it's in the place where now I have to make a decision. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> you know, should I just go ahead and swallow? And it's gone, <laughs> or should I try to get it back up out yeah. of my throat? Yeah. And so I make the decision to try to get it back up out of my throat. How kind. And so I'm on stage, two people there. One, this woman's holding, woman on my left is holding a glass with a fish in it that I've already caught out of the air. The gentleman on my right is holding a glass that I'm going to, in a few minutes, would have spit this fish into. And he's standing there on my right. And I'm trying to get this fish out of, and I'm going (laughs) on stage. (laughs) The maximum was pretty small room. So there were probably, uh, I mean, at its peak, you could put, you could jam 115 people in there. So maybe there were 70 people in there. So not a big giant crowd. Um, But they're like all looking at me and I'm, And I feel the fish come up, but uh, at the maximum, I did two shows a day as well. And usually in between shows, I would pop upstairs to the buffet and have a little, get, make a sandwich and have a quick sandwich before the second show. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that sandwich also start to come up yeah. in addition to the fish. And so I start to throw up a little bit and I put my hand up to my mouth and I vomit in my hand. But then I realized that it's going to be too much. Oh no! For my hand, so I have my little suitcase here, 
the gentleman is standing in front of the suitcase, and the suitcase is open <coughs> behind him on a stool, and I lean over into the suitcase and just, blah, my whole sandwich, you know, my sandwich and the little fish flopping around in that sandwich in the suitcase. Oh, my God. Just, and the guy standing in front of it, and he looks back in there, oh, he sees that. And, and, oh. So now, I again, another I'm faced with another decision. Should I... That's, is that the end of that trick? <laughs> or do I reload? <laughs> and so I reload that fish and uh, go on and do the ending and finish. You know, there's still like another 30 minutes of show. And I finish the show and uh, I go out and after the show, I'm in the uh, lobby. I don't know. You, there's a comedian named Bob Zaney. Do you know Bob? That name is familiar, Bob Zaney. Yeah. So Bob Zaney's a comic, and he's a buddy, and he was standing in the back of the showroom watching this. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Because there was a comedy club in that room at night, and Bob was in town working that, and he and I are friends. So he had gone into the office, the entertainment director at the Maxim, and he was like, I think Mac just vomited on stage. (laughs) I found out later he'd gone in and done that. And so I'm in the... I come out to sign T-shirts and meet the audience afterwards. And the uh, entertainment director, I mean, it's a tiny little place, so the entertainment director kind of did everything. It was it's Bill, the guy who is my business partner in the show now. He was, the way, way we met, he was the entertainment director at the Maxim there. And so Bill is there selling shirts, and I'm signing shirts and chatting. And he leans to me, did you? Zaney said you vomited on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, why is no one mentioning that? <laughs> I don't know. And no one's, not one person said, uh, did you really vomit? No one said a word. So I guess it's really okay to just vomit on stage <laughs> and pretend it didn't happen. And everyone else will pretend it didn't happen too. I don't know. That's amazing. Well, wow. so that's, yeah. So Chris is, yes, I, so, but the, uh, the, so the reason I said he's partly correct is I did not vo- I did not swallow a fish. Yeah. Okay. I avoided that's swallowing a fish. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just uh, I love that no one mentioned it. That's what's oh, that makes that story. It's unbelievable. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. What I I guess it's just you know accepting that this is the show. Yeah, I guess or. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like you have a knack for playing off disasters. <laughs> I guess like, that's right. Or um, by the end, other stuff has happened, and that's just not what you think about. You know, it's like I had I had the drink the guy wanted, or I had you know, or I I don't know. There's other other distractions, more stuff to talk about. You would think that they would want to talk about vomit. That's what I would want to talk. About. <laughs> and I wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> but that's so funny. Um, Speaking, well, maybe this is not the best segue, but you were a chef at a four-star restaurant. And Speaking of eating fish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's if I wasn't being a magician, that's what I would like to do. Because I'm, I'm always fascinated by what people's passions outside of magic are. Yeah, I mean, I really like to cook. I don't, you know, uh, if you ask my wife, and she's correct, um, I don't cook nearly enough anymore. <laughs> Uh, but I'm working, 
but I really, you know, when I have a few days off, I mean, that, that's one of the things I like to do. Really? Yeah. Where did that stem from? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I kind of always like to cook. My dad is a good cook. My mom's a good cook. Sometimes she has a few things that she was good at growing up, but, uh, but she was, you know, my, my parents are divorced. And so my mom worked and my dad wasn't really in the picture much at, after the divorce. And so we were kind of on our own. So my brother and sister and I did a lot of cooking, I think. So we were comfortable in the kitchen. And I was working um, in, I guess it was when I was in, I don't know, when I was toward the end of high school, uh, senior year in high school, I guess. I'm so bad about these when, when something happened. But there was this restaurant called 610 Magnolia, and a friend of mine worked there. And I had gone into dinner because it was, you know, it had opened recently, and you know everybody's like raving about this tiny little restaurant, you know, like twelve tables, and um, this guy had gone to France and all over Europe and studied, and uh, really eccentric kind of guy who started this little restaurant, and it's far and away that you know it was small, but and elegant but not stuffy and just a beautiful little place to eat and so I'd gone in a friend of mine was waiting tables there and I'd gone in to have dinner with my mom and uh, he's the owner came out and he said hey Becky says that you're a magician do a trick I'm like you know I didn't have any tricks you know I had a thimble in my pocket <laughs> that's it I've been fiddling with thimble moves for some reason and so I did this, you know, just a couple of thinnest thimble vanishes, and and he's like, "Oh, that's fantastic! You should come and work here, and do magic." Yeah, I should. <laughs> and so I started doing table magic in this little restaurant, mm -hmm. and um, it was really I, a great experience. You know, it's small, and a lot of same people came, and so I, you know, people would request that you come over and it was you know you could you could do magic for everybody in the building because it's such a small place sure. so it was a great place to do close-up magic for me you know work on that and so uh ed garber the guy who owned it said hey do you know anybody i'm looking for like a somebody to kind of train a little bit uh it's not much money but tell them you know they'll learn a lot about cooking it's in the afternoon, I need like a sort of a lunch prep guy. So I don't need somebody who's a trained chef because it's not, doesn't pay that kind of money and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'd like to do that. Can I do that? Sure, give it a shot. So I did that and I'm still doing magic there at night and other shows, you know, as many as I could, but, you know, starving. Yeah. <laughs> also, so, I mean, it was another source of income too. And I, but I really liked it. And then uh, through a weird series of firings and people leaving, uh, I became the head lunch chef. I was doing magic at night. And then I became the backup dinner guy and quit doing magic in there. And, and, uh, and then I was the head dinner guy. 
Wow. And that was all within a few, you know, I, I don't know, pretty whirlwind. I don't know how long. But way stupider <laughs> timeline than you would think is possible. Sure. But, I mean, but he was there, too. <laughs> so he was, you know, but I was learning from him. And But there would be nights where I, you know, he, you know, there'd be where he would be out greeting, talking to people. And I would be there, the one cooking, really cooking. And so... Uh, in a way, it's unfortunate, and it's also fortunate. I mean, I hadn't thought about it like this ever, but it just now occurs to me that it's a little bit unfortunate that I didn't. I learned how to do those things on that menu really well, but because it was so quick, I didn't learn a lot about really being a chef. Sure. Uh, but it was, you know, I wasn't. I I wanted to be a magician, so. But it was a nice little detour and. Um, I learned a lot and it was cool being in that environment and I liked it you know, I, I learned that I liked um, sort of the pressure of it too um, you know the checks backing up and me being under pressure to do this right and uh, quick and make it pretty and you know all the stuff and yeah. I just I liked it and, and also the reward at the end to sit down and you know go out the back door and sit on the porch and have a beer and Oh, that was a fun night, you know, all the rush of that. Yeah. And the, the, the calm after it. How is, I mean, that sounds remarkably close to doing a set yeah, of the comedy it, club. Yeah, it is just, you know, it's like that. It, you know, you, the rush of that, you know, this, how how's it going to turn out? And, you know, the pressure of this and people have paid and they're expecting something. And then at the end, oh, I did that. And it's great. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So it sounds like you're like a quick learner. Do you pick things up quickly, or are you naturally um, Modesty inclined? forbids me from answering that question. Yeah, I think that might be. Yeah, one of the. Yeah. I'm, um, I think I'm observant. Sure. Maybe if that's a, if I have a skill, I'm a good listener and I'm observant. Hmm. And I, I guess those I, are things that sound like seem like they were cultivated though on the road. Definitely. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I you know, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it, you know, I don't think your podcast is long enough to decide between nature and nurture. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, I think, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think there, you were naturally inclined for that. And then being, yeah, the I mean, way. I think there's something to that, that, that there, I mean, you know, to get into that <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, I mean, I think that there are people who no matter how hard they work and how careful, careful they are, are never going to be great chefs sure. or never going to be great magicians because they just don't, have something yeah whatever that is and i don't you know it, you could argue forever about what that is but but there there's there's definitely something that either you have or you don't have and i don't think you can I mean, you can get good sure but you can't be the best at what you do i think that's my thought anyway that i agree unless you unless there's some innate something in you yeah but it, that's like a palpable thing too you can tell what <clears throat> When other people have that, and yeah. you can like, yeah, I, you, can you know, feel uh, that. we were talking about ping pong with uh, Jason England, yeah, and uh, so we were over, uh, I don't know, forget, and Derek Delgadio, you know, who doesn't play ping pong, but we were at my house, and and uh, Jason is, you know, giving him shit, you know, he's, Derek, he's, yeah, you play Derek, and Derek, is, you know, better quit giving me shit because you know, I learn stuff really fast, <laughs> <laughs> but he got me. 
That's so I'm not. Sure, so I don't think the truffle shuffle <laughs> translates into top spin ping pong surf. That's really but, <laughs> I've got a great top spin surf. You do. All right. <laughs> All right. How's your truffle shuffle? All right. Not that great. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, it's twelve twenty-five. Uh, maybe ten more minutes or something. Ten more minutes. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. I need Do to go talk to Bill, or he wouldn't have poked his head in. So okay, sure. Um, you okay? This is a thing that I saw in your bio. You have a major in magic. Yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> that sounds like that needs to be qualified. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think I said earlier, McAllister College. I went to this, it's a small liberal arts college in St. Paul. And one of the things that you can do there is design your own major. Ah. So I have, I have a double major. I have a major in anthropology, qualifies me to. I went with the idea of majoring in math, uh-huh. but math's hard. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I met an anthropology professor in my sophomore year, I think. And, really liked it and I switched from math to anthropology partly because I could take more independent studies <laughs> and work on my act <laughs> uh, and I knew at that point that I was going to be a magician I think so it was so I uh, so I, I designed with the help of the anthropology department and the psychology department and the economics department uh, I designed this magic major and so I econ classes and anthropology classes about magic and you know culture and um, so I put together the, you know it was horseshit but yeah. <laughs> looking back on it but it was you know it was great uh, for me too um, you know, the professors uh, the psychology guy and the um, uh, anthropology guys the two guys uh, mainly in the anthropology department and Walt Mink the psychology guy was they were just really great to help me with that and it was really lovely time but I don't know what what it really means that I have a major in math or a degree in math I mean uh, magic I mean uh, but it's cool to say yeah because I do yeah (laughs) that's awesome I just I just saw that and thought that that was interesting because you know that's there's no real courses offered on magic at universities which I think is interesting because dance music you know there are these these other artistic forms of expression but again, it's that stigma of magic. It's just, you know. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's the stigma, but there's also, you know, I mean, it's an economic thing, too. I mean, the, you know, they don't offer, you know, courses in some other stuff. That, sure. Because, you know, because the interest isn't there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, so I don't know. It's hard to determine which, which one of those needs to change. Sure, sure. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and then, I don't know if... Homer said you might not want to say this on the podcast, but he said gimmicky black wire. Do you know what that pertains to? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I can't remember. <laughs> I know that phrase, and I know that there is something that might have to do it. <laughs> we should call Homer right now and get clarification. I believe it's some sort of pubic hair joke. Oh, but I, okay. But I'm not certain. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> gimmicky black wire. Yeah, there was. Uh, I'm. It's possible that I pulled something out of my pants, <laughs> and somebody said that there was a gimmicky black wire that they saw. But oh, I'm not. But I can't remember. Crap. Ask Homer and uh, put 
put a footnote on the podcast. Okay, I'll do that. Um, and then do you want to um, – you... <laughs> can't remember what it was. <laughs> I think I – think insert... Did he say what it was? No, oh, he okay. didn't. He said uh, – but I think insert pube joke yeah. covers it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear the story one day though. Yeah, ask – shoot. <laughs> I, I want to hear it too because I want to refresh my memory because I've, I've forgotten all about Jimmy <laughs> T. Black Wire. But now that you say it, I know that it's important and I can't recall. Oh, that's so is. funny. And then um, there's a do you want to plug your books and talk about why and how you wrote these tricks with your head and Campfire Magic and the great big old book of magic? Uh, sure, we can plug anything. Uh, the, uh, I have a magic show at Harris. One o'clock and three o'clock, Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, it's quite excellent. Um, the first book, uh, Tricks With Your Head, um, initially it was going to be uh, like a cartoon book. Is kind of how I envisioned it. And I, the reason it was Tricks With Your Head, the idea came from, um, in my show I have some Tricks With Your Head. And I used to have more. I used to have uh, a thing where I... Uh, put a straw full of water in my ear and I had another thing with a, uh, a straw in a glass and upside down and all these. So I had a, like four or five tricks that involved my head. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to write a book for the public, that's kind of a cool title. It's something popped into my head, Tricks With Your Head. And my cousin, who does all the artwork for those that book and the other stuff that I, instructions for tricks and everything, he's a graphic designer in Chicago. And, um, if you're a kid, you've seen his work on lots of stuff. You know, uh, kids, uh, frozen kids meals, uh, kids cuisine. Okay, uh, that's all. The little penguin and all that. All, a bunch of stuff is uh, Einstein bagel. The guy on a bike with bagel tires. Or wow, whatever, I think. So he's done a bunch of monster energy drinks. Yeah, stuff? That wow. Kid, yeah, some of that. I don't. I don't. It's, big, it's not monster, but I, well, I should plug it. But uh, it's <laughs> one of those energy drinks he's done. Okay. Anyway, uh, he's done a bunch of stuff, and he's really great. So he, I envisioned it as a book with mostly told, the tricks mostly described via cartoon that he would draw, and then a caption under each one, but it would be mostly drawings with some text. And uh, Mark Levy, who's a consultant in New York uh, for businesses and stuff, uh, but he also consults with some magicians, he's, uh, I think, Consulted with Blaine on the being buried in the crystal box, you know, the first Times Square or whatever he did it, the stunt. That, sure. Uh, and uh, some other stuff that Steve Cohen, he's helped a lot in New York. Anyway, Mark Levy uh, was, this was in, you know, 2000 or something. He was in Las Vegas working on something and he came to my house and talked to me about an article he was writing and. I told him I had this idea for a book, and Mark had written uh, a couple of books already at that point for the public about writing. And so he said, you know, um, I, I think my agent would be interested in this, but I think it should be more text with some drawings, and I think you and I should write that text together. And so Mark helped me uh, sell that to the, or help you know present that to his agent and that agent sold it to Random House and so that book um, got written by Mark and I and illustrated by my cousin and it's still in print 14 15 printings I don't know wow and yeah so you know it's been 16 years or 
14 years, I guess. It came out in 2002. Um, so, um, so that was the first one, and it's called Tricks With Your Head, and it's still available on Amazon and uh, wherever books are sold. <laughs> and then, um, so I kicked Mark Levy to the curb, and I started doing, uh, then my cousin and I started doing a comic strip um, called Mac King's Magic in a Minute. And it was in a, it, it's in less papers now than it was at one point, because there are just less papers in the comics sections in newspapers have shrunk, but it used to be in the Chicago Tribune and wow. uh, in the Las Vegas paper. And so it's still going, but it's 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 not a giant money maker. But that's and but through that we sold like we were the kids meals at KFC. Um, we've done the kids menu for Applebee's and all Mac King and Magic and a Minute branded. So um, we uh, and then we have magic sets and props and through Barnes and Noble. There, I've done three magic sets. One of them you've mentioned, the Book of Magic. That was the second one of the Barnes and Noble ones, and that was like a magic kit in a book. But that's not available. None of those Barnes and Noble things are available anymore. The Book of Magic is a, we sold now to another Triumph Books, and that's going to be republished. Uh, because after it was out of print for a while, the rights reverted back to me, and so it's going to be republished. So, and then uh, then we worked on Campfire Magic, uh, and that's um, uh, Hatchet Books, and that's a publisher, another publisher in New York, and that's um, sort of a more kid-friendly, uh, lots of drawings, and so my cousin and I did that together. And that's tricks that you can do when you're camping and outdoors. So those are my books, pump, you know, plugged. Also, Campfire Magic still available. Here. Great. Um, I had. Oh, and this I want to do some uh, Mac King magic decks with uh, Dan and Dave. So I think we're working on that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so keep your eyes out, listeners. Um, and then to end, I I like to ask. When was the last time you were really badly fooled? Or the best time you were ever, like, really, like somebody shook your oh, head fooled? Uh, I mean, I, mean we talk, I talked about him a little bit a minute ago about how crappy ping pong player he is, but Derek Delgadio's, you know, in and of itself show at the Geffen in L.A. I, uh, I mean, the first time I saw that, uh, you know, I mean, Many things in there. I mean, it was—I was just gobsmacked. It was really the greatest magic show I've ever seen. So I was fooled over and over again. Okay. Thank I you. I cried. So much. I yeah. actually cried. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My wife has a picture of me hugging Derek afterwards and crying. <laughs> it was a really beautiful show. Yeah. He did such a phenomenal job. Yeah. I cried during the show and then I cried afterwards talking to Derek about it. So yeah, it's it's awe-inspiring. That's wonderful. This is not about Derek, though. This is about me. This Come is on. about you, Mac. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, thank you so much. No, this no, is thank amazing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to do no, this. No. I'm anxious to hear you know, how you make me sound intelligent. <laughs> you, I, you did a great job. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank you so much. Sure.